0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, there are some black Bibles available, um, often called the Pew Bibles. We're going to be on nine, page 946 if you've got one of those in front of you. Um, and before we jump in this morning, this just in. This is big news. I just received confirmation uh, of this last night. Uh, this is a save the date announcement. Okay, save the date announcement. Uh, I'm getting married again to Laura. No, I'm just kidding. We have thought about doing like a 20 year like re you know like throw another party for our 20th. I think that would be fun. But um, okay, so December the 18th, December the 18th, uh, a one tides of winter uh, will be back here to awaken. Uh, for a Christmas concert. So if you were here a couple years ago, we hosted uh, Tides of Winter's CD release show, and it was just absolutely fantastic. It was just dynamite. Uh, so December 18th, it's a Friday night. It will be a ticketed event, and there is an uh, an unnamed artist that shall be revealed at a later date that we're working on uh, a, a special appearance that night. Um, we're working with their booking agent and, uh, you know, management and these highfalutin folks, but they should be here. We're we're excited about that. So, December 18th, friends, mark that down. It'll be great, okay? Um, If you're new, we're in a series called Lost in Translation. The last four weeks, we've been going through uh, a couple of uh, passages that are hard to interpret or hard to understand or hard to hear, and trying to make sense of them, asking questions about uh, what does this passage or what does this text reflect or reveal to us about God and God's heart. And so, uh, last week we were in uh, Romans chapter 9, this morning we'll be in Ephesians 1, and I'd like to begin with an illustration, if I may. Um, do you guys remember as a kid when you, were, uh, when you were picking teams on the playground? Do you remember this? Or in your neighborhood, maybe you were going to play uh, uh, baseball or, or ding-dong ditch or, you know, tag or whatever you guys played, and there were the little limericks, the, the little nursery rhymes on how to pick somebody? Do you remember these? Bubblegum. Bubble gum in a dish, how many pieces do you wish, how many, Four. One, two, three, four. and you are not it, yes, you remember this, right, <laughs> a few of you, a few of you, all right, there's another one, there was another one, eeny meeny, miny moe, catch a tiger by his toe, if he hollers, let him go and you are not it, you remember this, right, okay, So I need two volunteers for this morning, two volunteers. I promise you I will not embarrass you. You will not have to ingest a goldfish or any other item unless you want to, okay? I was a youth pastor. We had kids eat leeches one time. So I need two volunteers, two volunteers. I did get a call on that one. Yes, sir, TJ, come on up here. This is my neighbor, TJ, everybody. Give him a round of applause. (laughs) Very good. If you could stand right here, sir, thank you. I need one other volunteer. Yes, Maria, come on up. This is Maria, everybody. Give her a round of applause. And it's her birthday! It's her birthday! We got a birthday! Well, uh, then I'm going to have to make sure that you get the... Uh, see here. Okay, okay, here we go. So we're going to do... We're going to do eeny, meeny, miny, moe. You guys say it with me, okay? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch a tiger by his toe. If he hollers, let him go. And you are not it. You're not it. Oh, yeah. Okay. TJ's not it. So he's on this side. Okay. He's on this side. Maria, you're on this side. Okay. Are you guys ready? Sure. Are you ready for this? All right, friends. I'd like to reveal to you what I have prepared for you this morning. All right. You guys ready? I'm going to hold this up. Hold, hold that right there for me. Just real quick. Okay. Here we go. Okay. If you could drop that for me right there. Just drop the cloth. Here we have a maple bacon long john from Mojo Monkey Donuts. And a tin of cat food. (laughs) Cat food for you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for playing everybody, TJ. (laughs) And a maple bacon donut for you. You can take the whole plate. The whole plate. Yeah, you're going to need it. And if you're a vegetarian, give it to one of your friends. Okay? All right, give these guys a round of applause. TJ and Maria. All right. I maybe should have given the, the, my neighbor the donut because we have to live next to each other. But <laughs> either way, either way, Ephesians chapter 1, stand if you will, please. You guys are all wondering what the cat food and the donut have to do with today. I hope this shall become clear soon. If it doesn't, enjoy the donut and I hope you have a cat. <clears throat> Verse 3. of his glory pray with me God this morning as we gather in this place as your church uh, it's my hope and prayer that what happens in this room would honor you um, that you would inhabit uh, as your scripture says the praises of your people Um, as we sing and as we uh, are with one another as we share ourselves with each other as we look into your scriptures uh, Holy Spirit would you meet us where we are would you speak to us Uh, invite us to the people that you've called us to be, that you've made us to be. Uh, I pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. You may have a seat. So the question I have for us this morning is this. Um, Is this what God is like? Does God randomly pick people? Some to eat Mojo Monkey Donuts and some to get cat food. Some to eternal heaven, somewhere else. Is this what God is really like? Is God arbitrary and seemingly random? Or is there something else going on here? If you've ever come across this passage before, um, you may have heard it in this context where God is, uh, sometimes it's talked about as predestination. Uh, And we talked about this a little bit last week, but uh, more on that in a minute. Where God elects some... Uh, predestines some, and for for heaven, for uh, glory, for being adopted as sons and daughters, and others not. Is that really what God is like? Is that what Ephesians 1 is saying? Or is Paul up to something else in this passage? Um, more, more, more than that, why would I spend two weeks on this idea? We talked about Romans 9 last week, which is about the potter's house, and God makes some vessels for wrath and some for glory. Uh, why would we spend two weeks on this? Our picture of God, our image of God, really, really matters. What we imagine God to be like, I would suggest, is, is really, uh, it's all we have at the end of the day. We have scripture, yes. We have Jesus' life, yes. But for you and I, right here, right now, who... Jesus isn't here, right? That happened 2,000 years ago. For you and I, what we have is what we imagine, what we think in our mind about God, and that impacts us. It transforms us. It changes us. It moves us. So our image, our picture of God really matters a lot. Imagine a woman who was abused uh, as a child. The scriptures by her father. Uh, the scriptures use a, uh, an image of God as father often. And so for this person, if their image or their picture of God is connected to their father, then they won't experience God as loving and gracious and safe, but rather as fear and anxiety and as the worst of all all evil. So what we think about God and our image of God, it really matters a great deal. If we see God as one who randomly chooses one person over another, then we may not, probably not. Uh, will experience God as loving and faithful and just and merciful, but rather as capricious or arbitrary or random. And I've had friends who've seen this text, and and that's what they've said. Like, this paints God in a picture where it seems really random. Like, some are predestined, some aren't. What is the deal with that? What is going on here? So I want to unpack this a little bit more uh, this morning. In Ephesians 1, why does Paul use this language of predestined and elected and adopted What's he getting at there? And what's he trying to say about God? And what's he trying to say to the people who's receiving this letter when they first heard it? So that's what I want to do this morning. Are you with me? All right, here we go. In order to answer these questions or this question, I think we have to ask another question. And the first question is this. What story is being assumed by Paul as he tells this story? So when Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, this is a group of people. Most people believe that Ephesians was a circular letter. It was one that wasn't intended for like one group of people, but a number of churches in an area. So it would have been passed around to them. So when Paul tells this story about Jesus in Ephesians 1, what's the story that it fits into? Or what's the larger story that it uh, sort of frames or shapes it? And we do this all the time. Um, Imagine last week if I had talked about the Cubs winning the World Series in 2015 and Doc Brown and Marty McFly and the DeLorean, right? You all know where I'm going with this. Yeah, this is Back to the Future. You know that last week was the date that Back to the Future was was on the DeLorean. Did you guys know this? Yeah, okay, it was all over Space Page. So if I, last week, if I had talked about uh, uh, the Cubs winning the World Series and, and Doc Brown and all these things... You all, if you'd seen the movie, you would know that that story that I was telling right there fits into a larger story, and it only makes sense if you know the larger story, right? If you fast forward 2,000 years from now, and people are listening to this podcast, that's a bizarre concept, they're listening to this podcast, and they have no idea about the DeLorean, about Emmett Brown, about Marty McFly, Michael J. Flax, uh, or, or the Cubs winning the World Series, they would probably say, well, everybody knows that the Cubs haven't won the World Series in 2,000 and some years. <laughs> Hell! But then they would say, like, what is all of this? And you can't understand what I'm saying about the Cubs and Marty McFly unless you understand the larger story. Does that make sense? So I want to I say that Paul, in Ephesians, is so, so too it is with this book. That unless you understand what Paul is sort of referencing or the larger narrative that, that Ephesians fits under... It's really difficult to understand what he's saying. So, for a 100 Torah points, what is the story that Paul is telling his story in light of? It's not far from last week, guys. It's Israel. It's the story of Israel. Paul, in a number of places, he says, I'm a Jew of Jews. I grew up as an Israelite. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. So the larger narrative that Paul is speaking ephesians out of or that frames what he's saying in ephesians is the story of israel so then you have to ask the next question which is of course well what do we know about israel right israel was elected israel was predestined israel was adopted to be sons and daughters this is the way the old testament speaks about israel and here's the key not to the detriment of everybody else not in spite of everybody else not over and above all of the other nations, but rather for the blessing of all of the nations. So Israel was predestined. Israel was chosen by God for the purpose of blessing all of the rest of the nations. It's important for us not to miss that piece. The point of Israel's election and sonship or daughtership was not eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It doesn't put on on display the arbitrary nature of God. Rather, it puts on the display of the calculated nature of God to redeem all that God made good. Um, has anybody traveled on the green line before? Yeah, the, the, the metro, you know, the, the, the new... Is, did, do we have Jesse Ventura to thank for that, by the way? I, maybe? No. Some of you are like, no, definitely not. <laughs> okay, some politician and people, right, they build this green line, right? And at some point, the green line, by the way, it starts at, at Home Depot... Uh, the Union Station goes down by the New Saints Stadium. It takes a left around the Capitol. It runs down university. It stops in Town and picks up our, our college friends who have had a few too many. It crosses over the river, and it meets up with the blue line, and then it heads to what? Target Field, baby. It's the last stop. At some point in the process, somebody decided that this train would... The last stop would be Target Field. It is destined to, be, to end up there. And anybody who gets on that train is destined to make their way to Target Field if they stay on the train the whole time, right? I want to suggest that this idea or this, this way of thinking about predestined or chosen is a good way to think about how Paul is using it. Anyone on that train is predestined to arrive at that location. They were predestined way back when it was decided to be built, So if you and I were to walk over to the uh, Capitol this morning and we were to all get on the train, I could stand there and say to you, friends, we have been predestined to go to Target Field. You've been chosen to go to Target Field, not over and above all the rest of the people, only because you got on this train and this train was destined to go there. So if we take predestination and election out of I was elected, or you were elected, or you were elected, and not you, and rather, anyone on this train is headed to that destination, starts to make a little bit more sense in light of who Israel was and what the purpose of Israel was. right? Not because they were better than somebody else, so God's choosing or election of Israel, it's not eeny, meeny, miny, mo, but rather, this group of people would be an example, and the means by which all of creation found their way back into relationship with God. So, if we think about Paul and what he's doing in Ephesians 1, anyone on this train is headed to that location. They're assured that reality. This is the thrust of Paul's usage of election and predestination and the choosing of Israel. So you have this first, right? If you've got to understand Ephesians 1, you have to understand that Paul's speaking into a context or from a context where Israel is framing it and shaping what he's saying, So then you couple that with this idea, and Paul's insistence again and again and again, and the gospel writers do the same thing, they insist that Jesus was true Israel. What do I mean by that? Israel was intended to be a certain group of people in the world, living a certain way, showing the world what it meant to live in relationship with God. If you read the prophets, you don't have to read far to understand and know that they, often they didn't make that. They didn't live into that. Paul, in verse 7, This is why he says, he uses the image of the Passover and the Exodus in the passage we read. The forgiveness of of sin comes from the shedding of blood. This is the Exodus story. This is the Passover night where the the angel passed over the Israelite homes and there was blood on the doorpost. Do you remember this? That's why Paul references that story. He goes on in chapter 2 to say that Jesus comes to make one humanity, to sort of break down the wall that divides and make one true humanity This was what Israel was intended to do in the beginning, right? One tribe to bless them all, we talked about a few weeks ago. So Paul insists that Jesus, everything that Israel couldn't do or didn't do or live into, Jesus does and becomes the true understanding or the true representation of who Israel was and what they were to be in the world. So Paul, Ephesians 1, you can't understand it outside of Israel. You can't understand it if you don't understand that Paul's trying to say that Jesus is true Israel. What's true of him was supposed to be true of Israel, right? So everything that Israel was, suppo- was to be afforded, sonship, daughtership, to be seated at the table with the divine, Jesus lives it out and lives into the vocation that Israel had. Now this is where, this is where it sort of comes together for us in our passage because if you think about and you read carefully the passage we read, Every reference to predestination and election and being chosen and adopted is prefaced by or near this key phrase that Paul uses, and it's in him, right? So you have Israel as sort of the the, the narrative or the frame under which Paul speaks Ephesians 1. You have Paul insisting that Jesus is true Israel, and then you have Paul saying, in him, Jesus, in him, verse 4, he chose us, in him, verse 5, predestined us to be his children through him, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through the blood. In him, we were chosen having been predestined. So what Paul is trying to say is that anyone in Christ is essentially on this train headed towards that reality, which is to be adopted as sons and daughters of the divine, to sit at the table with God, to be in this family of the redeemed. So it's not you and not you, but it's much like the green line. Anyone who gets on this train, that's where it's headed. And so Paul says, if you're in him, that's what's afforded to you. So this idea of election and predestination, it's not about God being arbitrary or capricious, but it's rather in a context. It's in a larger story about Israel, about Jesus being true Israel, and about anyone who's in Christ gets that. You follow the logic. Now, Just briefly, if you'll allow me to nerd out uh, on theology for like 30 seconds, there's a guy named Karl Barth. Uh, I I don't love everything Karl Barth says, but on this particular topic of election and predestination, he just nails it. So let me read what he says, or an author says about Barth. He says, for Barth, this doctrine, the decision of God before all time to be who he is for humanity, is the basic truth on which all other Christian truths are built. The doctrine of election involves two aspects, the electing God and the elected man. As the electing God, Father, Son, and Spirit, together make a choice, that choice is to elect Jesus of Nazareth, the elected man. So he says, for Bart, predestination is identical with the election of Jesus. God freely chooses or predestines himself, and all humans to be in loving relationship in and through Jesus, God will have it no other way. Okay, let me shift gears and see if I can offer some implications of this. Because this is the deep end of like the theological pool. People argue about this in seminary. People get degrees on this kind of thing. And maybe you're a plumber and you're like, okay, so what? Or, Or a banker or something else. What are some of the implications of what I'm offering this morning? At least these things. Number one, you've already been chosen. You've already been elected. You've already been adopted. If God makes this choice in Jesus, and Jesus is the representative human, right? The Bible talks about Adam as a representative of all human. Through Adam, sin comes, and all are are sinful. Through Christ, the second Adam, something else happens. If Jesus is the representative human, then all that God needs to do, all that God wanted to do, all that God did do, has been done. The work is complete, and as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, I mean, do you remember when on the playground people were picking for dodgeball or whatever games and and maybe you didn't get picked? There was this one kid, oh gosh, I I could see his face. We'll just call him Leonard. Everybody's got a Leonard, right? And you could just see this poor kid on the playground and like they're standing there just hoping, dear God, please pick me. I do not want to be last. And that moment when they're the last one and everyone's like, oh man, we have to take Leonard. You know what I mean? That is not what God is like. At all. You have already been chosen. The invitation has already been sent out. You have been elected in Christ. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, is he a universalist? Like, was what he's saying that Jesus has done something and it's effective for all of humanity, regardless of whether or not you choose to opt in or out? Is that what he's saying? Because it might, that's kind of what I'm hearing. And I would just say this. You should hope that's what I'm saying. Because anything less than that means that we hope that somebody doesn't get back. That somebody doesn't get redeemed. That somebody doesn't make it. That somebody opts out of the love and grace of God. If we hope for anything less than that, then that's what we're hoping for. Dare we hope that somehow in God's infinite wisdom that God redeems all that God made good. Dare we hope that? Now, having said that, I cannot stand here this morning in good conscience, reading the scriptures as I have and do, and say that that's true. It seems to me that the scriptures make clear that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is essential and that there is a particularity with the person and the life death and resurrection of Jesus and that that historical event and my response to it matters a great deal god will not will not force you to do something that you do not want to do which leads me to the second implication say yes to what you've been invited to say yes If the invitation's already out, if you've already been elected, you've already been chosen, the work has already been done, then say yes, please, for the love of God, literally. God will honor your choice. This is what God does because it's relational. It has to be two parties dancing here. I mean, who's danced by themselves? I mean, that's kind of fun for a few minutes, but it gets old really fast, right? I mean... You can only do that so long, right? Before you're like, somebody dance with me, baby. (laughs) Relationships have to go two ways. There has to be two parties involved. And what the scriptures seem to be screaming from the rooftops is God has opted in. Now the choice is yours, the choice is mine. And God honors my choice. So if I want a life without God, I get it, now and forever. I hope I'm wrong. I hope, I hope, I hope that I'm wrong. But I think that scripture says that pretty clearly. And so I would just implore you this morning. Maybe you have come from a place where religion and church and Jesus has gotten all wound up with all sorts of craziness. Can I just try as hard as I might to convince you... No, no, not to convince you. To offer you the possibility that this is a picture of God that we see in Scripture. One who has opted all the way in for you, for me, for all of creation. That in, in Christ, God has elected everybody. Not you over you, but anybody and everybody who gets on that train that's headed to that destination redemption and adoption to sit at a table where you are victors over defeat and evil and all that is horrible in this world that's already been done that's what awaits you so say yes lastly i would say this this is an anchor paul talks about this in scripture at another point where he says this hope is an anchor for my soul and i would just say this morning as we move towards communion. We live in a world that is unpredictable at best, where there is nothing certain, where people, spouses die at a far too young of an age, where parents get divorced, where you lose a job that you worked at for 25 years, never saw it coming, where your girlfriend dumps you or your boyfriend dumps you or you're not married and you thought you would be where your dreams for your life go up in smoke in a freak accident or because of a decision that you make that you just can't have back. When you keep trying and working harder and harder and harder to get ahead and you can't seem to make up any ground. We live in a world that is unpredictable, that is chaotic, that is tragic at times, that is just downright hard to to understand, where it leaves us scratching our heads. The scriptures seem to be making a case that this, this event if you could just check all the rest of it at the door for a second, this event, this person of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, this is an anchor you can tie your boat to in whatever sea or whatever waves have come that this one will hold. And so I just implore you this morning, if you have never said yes to what seems to be an open invite to any and all from God, Would you consider that this is true about God? That God is not arbitrary or random or capricious and God doesn't say you, but not you, but rather God says in Christ, all of you, any of you who would say yes. What if that's what God was like? I'm going to offer just a moment of silence as we close. Uh, I'll invite the worship team to come back up and they're going to, Uh, lead us in song as we receive communion. Um, But just for a moment, if you will, I want to offer a time of silence, um, and I would love for you to consider two things. One, maybe today you need to receive something that's already yours. Maybe it's the gift of forgiveness from God. Maybe it's the gift of forgiveness to yourself for a mistake that you made that you won't let yourself off the hook for. Maybe it's a fresh start or a clean break. Maybe it's victory over something that you just can't seem to shake. Maybe you need to receive something that's already yours today. So that's one. Or two, maybe you need to see God in a different light. Maybe God is not arbitrary and capricious or mean. But maybe, just maybe, for this next moment, I'd invite you to imagine standing on the playground... And God approaching you and saying, I choose you. And see it and hear it. Hear him say it. Say your name. So I'll offer a word of prayer and then I'll offer just a time of silence and then uh, I'll help walk us into communion. So God, as we take a moment to think and reflect, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would, uh, as you always do, honor where we're at but invite that you might... Uh, encourage us, invite us into the promise, into the reality, into the assurance of what your resurrection from the dead brings. So give us the courage to take one step towards that, God, I pray. My name is Joan. It would be my privilege and other members of the prayer team to pray with you for a prayer of blessing or pray with you to lift a petition. In a space of privacy, we'll be gathered in the prayer space after the service. From the book of Jude, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now, and forevermore. And may you be filled with grace and peace. Amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.